Assalamu alaikum. This is Abdurrahman Murphy, and you are listening to Heartwork, the Virtues of Good Friendship, taken from Imam al Ghazali's Ihya Ulum al Din, the Revival of the Religious Sciences. In this series, we read and explore the eight characteristics that Imam al Ghazali has outlined as the foundation of being a virtuous friend. He builds off of verses in the Quran, hadith of the Prophet, وسلم, and stories of the righteous from our tradition, and we try to apply them in the context of contemporary real life examples. At roots, we have daily offerings for the community across a variety of demographics, focusing on social and spiritual growth. Your contribution helps us grow and allows us to provide more for you and your family and friends. Become a monthly sustainer at rootsdfw.org sustain, and please honor us with a visit to Dallas, Texas. Welcome home. Welcome home, everybody. It's good to see everybody back, alhamdulillah. Hope, inshallah, everyone's doing well. Everyone doing okay? Alhamdulillah, doing all right? Okay, alhamdulillah. Well, if you're doing okay, may Allah continue that, inshallah. And if you're not doing okay, may Allah ta'ala give you the ability to get through whatever it is that you're going through, inshallah, with ease. And make it a means of learning, inshallah, and benefit. Um, we are, uh, are going to be, inshallah, wrapping up this... Um, this heartwork session, mini mini session that we've been having, um, Imam Al Ghazali wrote this small little uh, piece from his Ihya on the etiquettes of brotherhood and sisterhood, and um, you know, quite honestly, he probably spent more time discussing some concepts of uh, companionship than we would ever even think about. You know, for many of us. We probably thought, and raise your hand if this is true, that friendship just kind of happened naturally, right? Things just kind of occurred as they did, and um, you know that it didn't really take much effort, right? And sometimes we would take that as a sign of good friendship, and sometimes we would take that as a sign of you know bad friendship if we actually had to work on things. But Subhanallah, what we what we realize is that every relationship takes work. Every relationship takes work. And you might have heard people say that about marriage in particular. You know, marriage takes work. And some people, you know, they say to themselves, well, how, you know, how much work can it really take? If I love somebody, isn't that enough? And the reality is that even if you love someone deeply, you have to invest time and effort into that person. And so whether it's marriage, whether it's your siblings, right? Some people are closer to their friends than they are to their siblings because they invested in their friends, but they didn't invest in their siblings, right? And there's other reasons, but the amount of work that you put into it is the ultimate uh, uh, recompense that you'll get for that. So Imam al-Ghazali broke down for us uh, a few different traits, eight different characteristics that he talked about. And he spent a lot of time talking about them. And again, he wants us to walk away knowing that if you really want to experience the definition of brotherhood and sisterhood from the Islamic tradition, then you have to be willing to work on these things. And many of them also revolved around not assuming that you were going to be the recipient of everything. Right? It's interesting, in Islam we believe in like this reciprocal experience. You will receive what you give. Allah tells us this. I know everyone's like, yeah, it's the universe, energy, chakras, right? Allah said, هَلْ جَزَاءُ الْإِحْسَانِ إِلَّا الْإِحْسَانِ very clearly in the Qur'an. Does Ihsan, is Ihsan not the reward for Ihsan? Ihsan's hard to define. It's hard to translate. 
It can mean beauty. It can mean perfection. It can mean a person's utmost uh, best, their best effort. So Allah is telling us in the Quran that the only way that you can expect to receive beauty or someone's best effort, or however you want to translate ihsan, is that you are a person that's willing to do your ihsan. And that's why when Allah talks about a person's relationship with their parents, He says, وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانًا That you should do your best. You should do your absolute best. Many people expect the best from their parents, but don't want to give their parents their best. Man, Musa had the tantrum of all tantrums today. I got to tell you guys, he's sick, so it's okay. Nothing counts. He doesn't have any sins, mashallah. All right. Um, but it's interesting because a, a, as a young kid, again, I always just sit there. I, I'll never forget Habib Omar from Yemen. May Allah Ta'ala preserve him. He always talks about like children as being this amazing educational tool. When you, when you look at kids and you observe them, you learn so much about your own self and how the nafs works. Because we were talking earlier today, actually, and I said, kids are just like adults, but we're just better at hiding it. Right? So kids say things that we think, and that's why we think it's hilarious. But we're just better at lying or hiding or filtering ourselves. So kids will just be like, they'll walk into a party and be like, I don't want to be here. I want to go home. How many of y'all have had that thought before? Be honest. Yeah, thank you, right? Okay. Yeah, you walk into a gathering and you're like, I really don't want to be here. Right? My, my son and daughter will say that. Baba, can we go home? Like, the, the host is like, thank you for coming. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to go home. And I'm not going to lie, there have been days where like, I really didn't want to socialize. But as an adult, you have to hide that, right? You have to mask that for the sake of good adab and character. So kids are just the ultimate teacher. They'll show you what your nafs is feeling and doing. And you know, there's no reason to judge kids because they're just the unrefined. And that's why Allah doesn't hold them accountable. They're unrefined, okay? So, you know, Musa's tired. I took him with me. I flew with him this weekend. I took him with me to do some, event, uh, some events in Chicago. It was just me and him. We flew together. Uh, and, you know, we spent a lot of time together, alhamdulillah. We bonded and, you know, he ate, like, horribly. And, you know, uh, Oreo milkshakes and hot dogs. Oreos have, Oreo milkshake has dairy in it, right? Dairy, right? Calcium? Right? Somewhere in there, right? <laughs> Somewhere. Okay. So I, you know, and my mom, my mom and dad live in Chicago. So it's not just like, it wasn't like, you know, we were just like frat boys, like living it up. <laughs> We were hanging out with my parents and my sister and everybody. And, you know, alhamdulillah, we had a really nice time. Um, but he, he slept late and he woke up early because he doesn't, he doesn't sleep in. So he had a really rough, you know, uh, um, transition back to Dallas. And he had school today, had to be up at 7, and had to go to school. And he came back and he's really tired. So he's, he's tired. And what do you do when you're tired? You start to say things you don't mean. Right? Like when you're tired, just be quiet. It's the best advice my mom has ever told me. She just erases the when you're tired part. She just says, be quiet all the time to me. <laughs> it's the best advice that anyone can ever give. So he starts saying these things. And, you know, it's interesting, subhanAllah, because he just, you know, no one, no, one, uh, no one in this house lets me make my own decisions. And you tell me what I can watch and can't watch. And you tell me what I eat and can't eat. And he's getting really frustrated, all right? And so he goes. And one thing interesting about Musa is that he, like, self... He like self-isolates when he knows he's getting explosive. He like goes to another room and he like cries and then breathes and then come out, comes out. And so I, I told him, I was like, just come, come, come over to me and, you know, sit and talk to me a little bit. So we sat and we chatted, alhamdulillah. 
And uh, subhanAllah, man, you know, I just asked him, how was your day today? And he said, it was really tough. And he was really sad about a few things. He saw one of his friends get bullied. That bothered him a lot. This girl pushed. I'm not picking on women. It's just, uh, listen, it's the facts, okay? I realized as soon as I said that, I'm like, stop recording. Uh, this little girl pushed the, his friend's lunchbox off the table. And the lunchbox basically exploded all over the floor. And Musa goes, every grape was ruined. <laughs> every grape. And he goes, and she didn't even help him pick it up. She just stood there and looked at him. And so she goes, he goes, so I gave him my Lay's and my juice box. You know? And it's so interesting because, again, like, these are all things that we are like, aw. But, like, subhanAllah, like, these are the, this is the beautiful innocence that, that Allah has put in each human being. And somewhere along the way, we lose it. You know, somewhere along the, the way, we become more self-absorbed and self-concerned and all of these things. So it's really interesting when you're able to observe children. Children are an incredible gift because they teach you a lot. So Imam al-Ghazali gave us all these traits. And you'll see these traits naturally occurring around you. And again, it's traits that you have to work on and you have to harvest and you have to grow like a farmer within yourself. And um, I don't know why the screen's not working. Anyways, we'll figure it out, inshallah. But... Um, so what he does at the end, which I really like, and because the screens aren't working, you just have to listen to me, okay? Um, is he says, I'll, uh, I'll say it here. He says, he, he wraps up everything. And then he says, these are the duties of friendship, okay? Being open-handed with your wealth, being open-hearted, taking care of people, not speaking poorly of them, saying good things keeping them company, all of these things. He, he, he listed all of them, okay? You can go back and you can watch on Instagram if you, if you want to catch up. He says, we have described them in general and in detail. So we've done like a 10,000-foot a, a view, we've done a deep dive. And he says, but the matter is not complete. You have not mastered anything. And this is like Imam al-Ghazali's thesis in his life. You have not accomplished anything by learning about these things. His whole point is that you haven't done anything yet. You've learned, you've read it, you've heard these stories, but now he's saying, how many of you are truly going to like transform your relationships and become the people that carry these pieces, that carry these traits? Because knowing is one thing, but acting is another thing. And Islam is filled with verses in the Quran and hadith from the Prophet ﷺ where they challenge, Allah and His Messenger challenge us to act upon what we know. And, and, and the people who don't act upon what they know, what's that? Yeah, I don't know, it's not working, it's fine, I tried it, yeah. The people who don't act upon what they know are given a title, a label, and that is hypocrites. That they know, you know, they, they live there with the Prophet ﷺ, but they simply refused to believe and to act and to pray and to be amongst those believers. So we don't want to become like that, right? So Imam al-Ghazali says that the matter is not complete. You have not achieved anything until you focus on taking care of your friend and not just on being, being taken care of. You focus on being the one that's there for people and not just expecting people to be there for you. Okay? Now, it's not wrong for a person to, in a friendship, have some sort of expectation of, of reciprocity, right? Scratch my back, I scratch yours. But, but the problem therein lies where a person 
becomes way too common and frequent and accustomed to expecting people to take care of them without doing something. And everything we do, this is really all relationships, right? Everything we do, we do it for somebody and we grade it on a weighted scale. But everything someone does for us, we don't grade it with that same weight. So if I buy someone lunch, I'm going to remember that for the next six months. If someone buys me lunch, I'm going to ask them what's for dinner. Like I forget about it. You know what I mean? So we have to flip that. And we have to lower the weight of the things that we do for people. Right? In Arabic, they have this beautiful statement. La shukra ala wajib. Someone says, thank you so much. And you say, don't thank me for what's obligatory. Right? It sounded nerdy when I translated like that. Don't, don't thank me for something I have to do. I'm going to do it for you. Right? Like this is what friends are for. A person thanks you, like, give someone a ride, thank you so much, and then responding, saying, like, this isn't, like, I'm giving you a ride because we're, we're friends. You don't have to thank me. It's nice of you to thank me, but you don't have, that's not why I'm doing this, right? So the believer is somebody that when they look at the favors that they receive, it's almost like astronomical how they weigh them. But when they look at the favors that they give, they're grateful to Allah that they were able to do that. But they don't hold on to it forever. And they don't hold it over the head of the person. And they don't remind them time and time again. And they don't soothe themselves and their nafs by saying, I'm so generous, I'm so hospitable, I'm so this, I'm this. The believer always looks for ways to improve themselves and always looks for excuses for others when they have reason to be improved. Right? So someone might do something for you. And this is the, this is the, the adab that our religion teaches us. Any of you all been told a story that you've heard before? Yes or no? What do you do? Be honest. How many of you within three seconds, you're like, yeah, I've heard this one. Right? <laughs> one person raised their head. He's like, actually, Ustad, you've told this example before, right? <laughs> okay? Yeah, I've heard this one. And then you got some people that can hold on for a few. And then you don't want to like outright interrupt them. So what you do, you drop a detail of the story to let them know that you know. Like, I was there and the dude was wearing a, you're like, green, green sweater, right? <laughs> Just to like, and the person's like, oh, I told you this. Like, yeah, you know, as if like the 75 seconds that are going to elapse by this a story about Trader Joe's or like whatever it was, as if that's going to like ruin something. It's, it's, now it's going to, but the Prophet, the Salaf al-Salih, the righteous companions, the Sahaba, these beautiful people, they taught us that in those moments when someone's telling you something and you already know, the prophetic character is to act completely unaware. Wait, you said green? Green sweater? In this weather? Right? Where were you at again? Whole Foods? Oh, Trader Joe's. I've never been there before, right? You go a little bit too far, you start lying, just blatant lies. That's, that's the prophetic character. Because, and then he'll say this, because these are traits that, again, they will bring the, the person closer. So we need to stop being so concerned with how good we are and give ourselves a little bit of room for improvement and when people do things that you know we can see a little bit of fault or criticism or whatever right oh you got me dinner thank you but i don't like this flavor or i like it but you know what you know what's better than this one is the 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 other one you know you mention it like somehow subhanallah it's something that's so so the other day it was so funny we were uh (laughs) we were making coffee and and uh Gave someone a coffee and, and uh, we were like, how was it? And he came and he was like, it wasn't good. Which is fine. He paid for it. Totally fine. 
like absolutely you're you're allowed to criticize the coffee at Zohaba. just never come back but you're allowed to <laughs> like you're absolutely allowed to 100% okay never come back but so I was like oh I'm so sorry like what can we do better can we make you another drink etc etc and he gave me mashallah like a thesis statement <laughs> and then we just kind of took it we're like okay that's fine and 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 between us and everyone watching uh, <laughs> between us the criticism was highly subjective like as a coffee nerd coffee nerds all of us like it's, there was no way to really measure the criticism that was given it wasn't like a valid I ordered a mocha and you gave me pumpkin spice it wasn't like that right I, ew it was like, you know, I didn't like it this way, I preferred it this way. Okay, well, you know, maybe let us know, we can do it that way. And it was khair, okay? So I just took it on the chin. The guy was like, poof, poof, and I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? <laughs> and then he leaves, and we're just like, okay. And it's been like a couple weeks now. I get an email today from that guy, and he's like, I, I feel horrible. And like, I've been thinking about it every night for two weeks, how, how, how dumb I was. And how I should have just, I should have just been grateful. I should have just taken it and said thank you. And it was, it was good. And he goes, honestly, now that I think about it, it wasn't bad. I just, he's like, I just felt the need to give, you know, maybe there was something. And, and I don't know, we have theories as to where, where this U-turn came from. His wife was really upset with him. So maybe we thought, you know, like, <laughs> as they walked out, she was like, you always embarrass me. I can't take you anywhere. But, but the point being is that, the point being is that, if you sit there and as people are, you know, giving you that, you start to puff up your ego and get, you know, hey, you can't say that to me, and you go back and forth, you're not giving anyone an opportunity to make that U-turn, because now it's your ego versus theirs, okay? And so part of being a good friend is also when it comes to those moments to learn when to hold them, when to fold them, okay? So he says, this is how you know that it's working. When you start to be concerned more about taking care of your friend, then you being taken care of, and putting yourself in the place of your friend's caretaker, your friend's servant. And he goes, one way to do this, this is like his hack now, because everybody has got to figure it out for themselves. But he said, let's go through each mode through the five senses. Let's go through all the faculties. So he says, as for your sight, number one, as for your sight, he says, when you look at your friend, when you see your friend, look at them with affection. Look at them with love. Look at them with appreciation. Okay? And everyone knows what this means. We all have been looked at with the opposite of these things. And we've been even made to feel sometimes like you don't even, shouldn't even exist. Right? The way someone can sometimes look at you. May Allah Ta'ala protect us from being that. Imagine giving those glances. You know, everyone kind of makes excuses, right? There's a certain three-letter acronym, starts with the R, there's a B in the middle, and there's an F at the end, right? Everyone's like, oh, that's just how Allah made me, right? Always sad. No, right? You need to fight gravity and smile. You need to actually, don't explain, no tafsir of that, right? If you know, you know. Like, I don't need people whispering like he's saying this, like. Ra-ba-fa, <laughs> okay? If you know what it is, you know what it is. If you don't, then just... People sometimes attribute naturally this very like poor... Uh, um, this, this, this manifestation of annoyance on their face, and they say, oh, it's just the way I am. Well, Islam came to change who you are. 
you know, some people say, like, oh, I just have a short temper. No. Well, okay, maybe. But you know what? Like, people like to eat, sleep, do nothing. But your life came to change that. You can't just become an animal. You can't just concede and submit yourself to all of these, these like, you know, nefsical desires that you have and say, it's just the way I am. No. Imagine if Omar, who he was, goes to the Prophet ﷺ as a person who is admittedly an alcoholic and admittedly a person who, who, who had you know, bad engagements with women and was, was a, a, a oppressor in his society. And as he's converting to Islam, he tells, this is the way I am. Right? Take me as I am or watch me as I leave. Like famous Twitter you know, bios. You know, the reality is Islam came to change that. So instead of reading this line and saying, man, Imam Ghazali is like way too, like the expectations are out of control with him. How can I look at my friends with affection? Well, instead of looking at that question with a sense of incredulousness, like, okay, well, there's no way. No, look at it and say, how can I do this? How can I do this? Okay, so he says, look at them with affection so that they know that you love them. He says this, so that they will know it from you. And look at their good points and turn a blind eye to their faults. Look at their good points and turn a blind eye to their faults. This is a really, really difficult. We have become hypercritical. We have become hypercritical. And I will say something here, and I need everyone to leave it in this room and on the live stream that everyone's watching online. <laughs> a lot of us have learned hypercriticalness because we were the victims of it ourselves. Whether it was in our homes, you know, maybe parents. I don't want to, we don't want to do too much of a group therapy session here. Not yet. But a lot of us were the victims of being hyper-critiqued constantly. Right? You didn't do this good enough. You didn't do this good. This is why this. This is why this. And as a result of that, this is psychologically sound. I got my master's in mental health. A person will replicate what they've seen, what has been modeled for them. They will replicate that behavior even unknowingly, even if they detested it, even if they hated it, they will replicate it unless they stand firmly, consciously in opposition of it. So the way that you were treated, this is why bullies bully. This is why hurt people hurt people. Because the way you go through something, you can't, there's no way. It's, it's the only way that you know. It's the only language that you speak. So if you've grown up and been constantly nitpicked, 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 you have to become very aware that this could become something that you perpetuate, that you pass on, and you have to fight that. You have to fight that. I remember growing up, how many of y'all were asked constantly by your parents, did you pray? Anyone here? Salait? Right? My, my nickname growing up was, okay, it was Abdurrahman, Abudi, Habibi, Habubi, right? Because I had all these nicknames. So constantly in my life, Salait, Salat Abdurrahman, Salat Habubi, Salat all these, right? Just nonstop, right? Salat, Salat. And yeah, of course, I was a teenager, so I'm like, yeah, I prayed, right? Which one? I don't know. One of them, right? <laughs> and, and subhanAllah, I'm, I'm sharing this with you in a moment of vulnerability so you can see how deep this goes. When I got married, I would start to ask, not my children, but my wife, did you pray? Did you pray? And she's like, yeah. Yes. And it happened every few days. Did you pray? Yes. And then in my head, silently, because I'm not stupid, right? I don't want to die. I had the question in my head, like, where? Because that was the next question that I would get asked as a kid. 
Salate? Nah, mama. Pain. And then I'd have to say, like, in my room, you know? So, again, I had to be so acutely aware that this had been drilled into me as a child. That now, in my marital relationship with somebody completely different, I'm starting to manifest some of those traits unknowingly. And I had to catch myself. Right? And I had to stop that. Because it's not, it's not right. You know? So, Imam al-Ghazali is saying, look, when you see your friends and you see people in your life, do not fall victim to perpetuating the things that you had to experience. Don't, don't treat your friends with the same negative traits that you unfortunately may have gone through. It could have been at home, it could have been like in, in, in your social life. But you have to cleanse yourself from that. Right? A lot of people are very lonely. May Allah Ta'ala help us all from going through that. It's a very tough place to be. A lot of people are lonely because they can't cleanse themselves from this stuff. And they constantly are pushing people away because of these traits that are, are, are sticking to them. Okay? So he says, look at their good points, turn an eye to their faults. Turn a blind eye to their faults. Do not distract your attention from them when they approach you. Or as long as they are with you, put away your phones. Not, 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 I'm not saying that right now. Everyone's like, everyone went, put away your phones. It, 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 look, we might all act like it's okay, but it's not okay. Let's be honest. It's not okay. It's not okay for you to be with somebody and for you to then be talking to you and then you pull out your phone. Right? It's very, very, it, it's not. And sometimes there's, there's circumstances, right? Sorry, I have to take this. Sorry, someone's texting me. It's urgent. You can clarify that and that's exceptional. That's okay. But if it becomes like a constant thing that I'm talking to you and I have to feel internally as a 30-year-old 30, 30 person, 20-year-old person, like I'm fighting for your attention against a 5.2-inch screen, right? And you're, all you're doing is scrolling, watching people dance on TikTok, and I'm trying to tell you something, then there is a serious problem with that relationship, right? And subhanAllah, on the flip side, I'm not going to be all negative, some of the greatest like gatherings that you've been to, some of the nicest conversations you've had, at the end of it, you're like, where's my phone? You're like, where is that? And you go and look and you see and there's like, I was going to be mean. There's like one missed message. You're like, oh man, blowing up, right? Three hours later, nobody cares. I could die and no one would know for so long. No, you pick up your phone and you're like, it was so refreshing to engage with a person heart to heart, face to face, and not be distracted and have to like rip my attention away from that dumb device back to another human heart. And subhanAllah, it's, 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 it's no secret and it's no wonder why we are the most connected and the most lonely generation that's ever existed. We know more about each other intimately. I mean, we know serious things. We know what people wear, what they drive, where they live, where they work, when they have kids, when they get divorced, when they get married. We know everything. I know stuff about you that you don't know I know about you. Because your friends post about you. And I follow one of your friends and someone else shared it. Congratulations on your marriage, by the way. Right? Like, you know, I know so many things about people that I don't want to know. But I don't know them. Isn't that so strange? Isn't that ajib? Yeah. Yeah, it's like Mike. That's a very strange thing. Right? So he says here, do not distract your attention. We're getting the second mic. Do not distract your attention away from them by any means. 
if that means you literally have to leave your, <laughs> that's a great time to use the, <laughs> the grinder. <laughs> She's getting the mic. I'll repeat everything I'm saying, but I'm going to keep going because I want to keep our attention. If that means you have to do something that seems so unreasonable or abnormal, like leave your phone in your car. Anyone done that? Thank you, Samis. Oh, no. <laughs> the gimpy one crutch guy has to. Okay, let me see if I can do this without turning my ACL again. Okay. Just thank you, woman. What would I do without you, man? Jazakumullah khairan. So as I was saying, I'm good. Don't worry. Oh, you see nothing. When I, when I tore my first ACL eight years ago, I broke a toilet. So, okay. <laughs> um, by falling on it, I just want to clarify. <laughs> I did not break it by using it. It was positioning myself. Uh, so this might mean that you have to do something abnormal. Like it doesn't feel normal. Like literally leave your phone somewhere knowing that it's very tempting for you mid-conversation to pick it up. We used to have a game that we'd play with friends, put our phones in the middle of the table, and we would, you know, stack the phones and no one can pick them up. And if someone picked them up, like we used to say, oh, you have to pay for the meal or whatever, but... Generally, it was just a way that we shamed them. And we'd say, put your phone away. And we found ourselves having the best conversations. So he says, when it comes to your sight, this also means, by the way, focusing on people when they're talking to you, not looking past them. I understand some people have trouble making eye contact, and some of that is very deeply embedded. That's okay, right? That's a little bit more naturally understanding and explicable, to be honest with you. We can tell when somebody maybe is a little bit anxious or nervous. Everyone can kind of, we've been there, everyone's been there. We're talking here the intentional stuff, the, the absent-minded stuff, the haphazard, like you're just looking around when someone's talking to you. He says, don't do that, okay? And he says, as long as they are with you. It is related that the Prophet ﷺ would give people that came to him his absolute attention, his 100% attention. And as a result of that, every single person who met him thought that they were his most beloved. So everyone who said... <laughs> Everyone who sat with it, I laugh because I can't imagine how amazing he was. Every single person that came and sat with him would leave and they'd be like, it's my bestie. <laughs> and the next per and then like they would say that to like Abu Bakr Siddiq, and he's like, I don't think so. <laughs> and they're like, and it happened. It happened with Amr bin As, the famous story. He was so convinced that he asked the Prophet to proclaim. Very dangerous ask. He said, Ya Rasulullah, tell us who's your most beloved? And he said, Aisha, radiallahu anha. And then Amr goes, yeah, of course, Ya Rasulullah, all of our wives are our favorite. We know, right? We've got to play that game, but from the men, men of Rijal. And he said, Abuha, her father, Abu Bakr, right? And Amr then said, then who? And then he kept naming people, right? Amr, Uthman, Ali. And then he said, okay, enough, I don't want to ask anymore. He stopped because he's like, I don't know where I am on this list. I was clearly mistaken that I thought I was your number one. But again, where does a person like Amr come to think that? He thinks that because of these traits. 
that you get so good at being present when you're with people. May Allah make us like this. And I, I genuinely ask for your forgiveness if I'm not like this. I hate to teach this stuff sometimes because I'm so not like it that I worry, right? So please forgive me. Please forgive me. So the Prophet ﷺ was known to give his attention. No one sought his attention but thought that he was the most generous of people towards him. His sitting, his listening, his speaking, his kind inquiring. He would ask children about their pets. He would sit and ask a child, how's your pet? He would ask people, how is so-and-so? He would, he, he, you know, Ka'ab, the, the famous poet, he said, he said to him, Ashaf, when he was introduced to him, he said, are you the poet that I've heard about? And he said, when he narrated that later, he said, that was the happiest moment of my life, that I, a nobody, the Prophet knew who I was. When, the, when they said my name, he knew that I was a poet, right? It's like having a really nice, like you're, a hobby that you're into, and then you meet someone that you admire more than anybody. And when they find out who you are, they say, oh, aren't you the one that does that? He said, my heart was leaping in my chest. I've never had a happier moment in my life. Okay, I've never had a happier moment in my life, subhanAllah. So the Prophet him, his inquiring of people and his attention were all for the friend that he sat in front of. His company was modest, he was humble, but he was confident. Moreover, he, sallallahu alayhi was of all people the one who smiled the most. This is something that is one of the great tragedies of the Muslim experience. Is that if you close your eyes and I tell you to imagine the face of the Prophet if we don't think of him smiling, there's a, there's a problem. Because Anas bin Malik said, I never saw the Prophet except that he was smiling. Now we know, we know that there were times where he didn't smile. Because we know that there were times where he was upset. We know that there were times where he was crying. We know that there were times where the Prophet was engaged in things that were not smile-worthy, right? He was in battle, things like that. But can you imagine that a young companion, as he's narrating about the Prophet says, when I think of him, I can't imagine his face except that he was smiling. But then you ask... A Muslim from, seven, from, from one point something billion Muslims today out of seven million people described to me the Prophet And maybe not even the first five or ten words is smiling. This is what he looked like, right? He was always smiling and laughing with his companions and always listening and marveling at their stories. This is what Imam Ghazali is saying. Following his example and doing him honor his companions used to smile and laugh in his presence. There's a couple of really amazing stories. Um, one of them that I wanted to share was one of Adib ibn Hatim. Um, Adib ibn Hatim at Ta'i, radiallahu uh, anhu, was a companion, but he wasn't always Muslim. He was the, uh, he was the son of, a, of an Arabian legend, Hatim at Ta'i. And Hatim at Ta'i was a very respected, incredibly like uh, illustrious man in Arabia. And... Um, and Adib ibn Hatim, his son, kind of inherited his leadership. Okay, so when Hatim al-Ta'i passed away, his son became the de facto leader. Now, Adib ibn Hatim's sister, uh, by one way or another, becomes Muslimah. She actually accepts Islam. She was actually uh, captured in battle, and because of her treatment as a captive, she accepted Islam, and part of her agreement was that they let her go back to her family, but she didn't want to go. 
So they were like, you can go back. And she's like, no, I want to stay in Medina. <laughs> like, I, I'm Muslim now. This is, this is who I am. So she goes back to her brother, and her brother's like, what? First of all, you became Muslim? Second of all, they let you go? Like, this is wild. He's like, all the things I've heard about Muslims, like, this can't be true. She goes, no, you have to go meet Muhammad Wasallam for yourself. So Adi ibn Hatim, he comes, and he meets the Prophet Wasallam, and I want to share with you some of the narration, because it's absolutely amazing. Adi ibn Hatim, he says, uh, after hearing my sister's experiences, I got the urge to go visit Medina, and I wanted to see for myself who the Prophet was before I concluded. When I went to meet him, I carried hatred in my heart for him, stronger than anything. I did not want to face him. I had apathy in my heart for him. But I told myself to remain open-minded. I said, let's hear him out, okay? And that if he told me something that convinced me, I would not refuse him, okay? So he's telling you basically, I'm, being, I'm not being biased, but he's biased, right? And then he says, listen to this. He goes, when I walked into Medina, and he's very well known. He's a legend. He's the son of a legend and also a legend himself. When he walked into Medina, he says, people started to recognize me. They knew who I was. And he said, there was a happiness on the faces of the Muslims in Medina, and they warmed me welcomely. They welcomed me warmly, sorry. <laughs> they welcomed me warmly. None of them had any ill will toward me. And he said, like, this disarmed him. He came in with hatred, and all of a sudden he's meeting all these Muslims. And they're like, Assalamu alaikum, how are you? Welcome. Ahlan, welcome to Medina, welcome to Medina, right? And he's like rethinking now his entire perspective, his image of Muslims. He's like, wait a minute. And then he goes to the Prophet ﷺ, and the Prophet ﷺ gets up and takes him by the hand and greets him. And he starts talking to him. And jokingly, like as if they're friends, he says, Adi, man, it's time to become Muslim. Can you imagine the pressure? Like, <laughs> he's like, it's time to become Muslim. And Adi like looks at the Prophet ﷺ and he goes, you know, he goes, you know, I'm a Christian, this and that. And Muhammad, our prophet, he said, I know your religion better than you. He goes, I know Christianity better than you, like I'm a prophet, right? So then he starts schooling him on some stuff. He says, isn't it true that you take 25% of your community's wealth? And he goes, yeah, it's true. He goes, look at your scripture, that's forbidden. The prophet starts schooling him, quizzing him, A, B, C, right, wrong, wrong, wrong. Finally, he takes Adi ibn Hatim and they walk through the streets of Medina together. They're going somewhere. And he says, Adi is narrating, he says, I noticed that the Prophet ﷺ stopped for every person and gave them salam. And when they asked him, and he, and he would say, how are you? And they would have a conversation, then he would move forward. But he would not ignore people. And Adi ibn Hatim said, this is not some king. This is not some you know, performer. This isn't a person who's trying to get power. This is truly a messenger of God. And he said, finally, this experience is what convinced him to accept Islam. Another beautiful story that I love is the story of Nu'man. Nu'man was a really beloved uh, companion of the Prophet ﷺ. He was kind of a jokester. But one thing he would do is he would always buy the Prophet ﷺ gifts. So he would always take care of him. You know, he'd bring him something nice. So he brought, he'd show up. He's that guy that would show up. Yeah, Rasulullah, I have something for you. So one time, there was a, a merchant that was selling really, really uh, uh, fancy and very delicious honey. And so he was like, the Prophet ﷺ loves honey. I got to go give him some of this honey. So Nu'man goes and takes some of the honey from the merchant, and he goes and he goes to the Prophet ﷺ, he says, Ya Rasulullah, you have to try this. I brought this for you. The Prophet ﷺ tries it, and he said, this is amazing. This is some of the best honey I've ever had. Where'd you get this? 
And he goes, I got it from this merchant. Actually, he's outside. You have to pay for it. <laughs> and the prophet says, you brought me a gift but didn't pay for it? And then he's like, yeah, so I couldn't afford it, but I, but I, I know you love honey, so I had to bring it to you. <laughs> and so the prophet started laughing. He said, okay, and he brought him and he paid for it, right? So these are some of the stories that just showed you the good nature of the prophet Someone who walked in as his enemy and also someone who loved him dearly. They both had the same loving, jovial experience of the prophet All because of what? Because of the love he had in his eyes, right? The love he had in his eyes. As for hearing... Listen to your brother or sister's words with pleasure. Confirm them. You know, we call this an active listening. Yeah, this is Imam Ghazali a thousand years ago saying, be an active listener. When you listen to somebody, affirm what they're saying. Okay? Show them to be well received. Do not interrupt them. Do not interrupt them. The Prophet ﷺ never interrupted people. Even his enemies, when they were deciding treaties during Hudaybiyah, the Prophet ﷺ didn't interrupt Utbah. Uthman bin Rabi'ah, he's, he's listing all these absurd conditions. They were out of this world. They were so one-sided. The Muslims were getting a raw deal. It was bad. And the Prophet was sitting there listening to him. And then at the end, after he narrates all these things, after he says all these conditions, what does the Prophet say? He goes, and he's not, doing this, he's not doing this sarcastically. He's doing it like honestly. He says, have you finished? Because I don't want to interrupt you. So if, if you have anything else, please, by all means, keep going. But if you're done now, then I would like to respond. Like, someone who's your enemy, who wants to kill you, and you're like, let it... We, we cut people off, like, and, we, and we're supposed to be best friends. And there's a person who's your enemy, subhanAllah. So there's a few traits that I wanted to share with you about the listening of the Prophet ﷺ. How he listened. Okay, and this is really, really important. We have only a few minutes left, but I want to go over these traits. I'm just going to rattle them off quickly. Okay, number one, the Prophet ﷺ was described that when he listened to somebody, he would turn his body toward them completely. If someone called his name, he wouldn't say, yeah, what? Right? He would turn his body completely toward them. Right? The body language matters. He would maintain eye contact with them. He would let them know that he was focused with them. He would use positive body language. And this is different for each person. But he would do things that would show the person that he was speaking to that he was, right, tapped in. So for some people, what that meant is he would hold their hand. For some people, what that meant is he would put an arm around their shoulder. For some people, what that meant is that he would, like, dap them up, give them a high five, or, like, fist. Basically, the Arab high five was to slap them on the chest. That was the Arab dap. So instead of, like, fist bump, he would just go, like that. So a young man would come up, and he'd be like, yeah, okay, relax, guys. Don't hurt each other, okay, right? Okay? He would not interrupt. We talked about that. He would wait patiently. He would never interrupt anyone who was speaking to him. Okay? He would listen with empathy. A person could be describing to the Prophet ﷺ one of the most objectively not difficult scenarios in the existence of the world. Like a young child talking about their bird that had passed away and the Prophet ﷺ would take time to listen and empathize and even went to bury the bird with that child. He didn't say like, really? That's what you're upset about? I came over because I saw you crying and your bird died? Here's another bird, right? Like, it is, he didn't do that. He knew how much that bird meant to that child. He would listen for advice. He would seek out advice. Sometimes we only listen when we're actively approached. 
We don't actively try to find places to listen. You guys understand the difference? Don't become somebody who only listens when people gain the courage to come to you. Right? Sometimes people don't have the courage to approach you, but there's stuff worth listening to. How do you unlock them? You have to go and seek it. You have to ask them, can you advise me? Can you give me some feedback? I'm stuck here. The situation is confusing. Okay? He would listen to both sides before passing any judgment. Very famously, he told Ali radiallahu anhu, don't make your judgment off the first side of the story. And this is, I mean, uh, wow, like 2023. How valuable is this? And the last thing that he would do, salam, is as he's listening, he would ask questions in response. He would ask questions for the people that were speaking to him, sallallahu alayhi So he would listen in this way. If a distraction happens to you, then you can apologize, Imam Ghazali says. As for the tongue, we have mentioned its duties already. He says, there is too much to say, but one thing that I will say is to never raise your voice against your friend. Never say something that hurts them in a way that hurts them. Ibn Hazm has this line of poetry, I forget the Arabic exactly, but I remember, subhanAllah, he said that, you know, basically, you know, uh, it's basically the opposite of sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Ibn Hazm says, sticks and stones, broken bones will heal, but the wounds from the tongue don't heal. It's crazy. He says, if you break my arm or my leg, eventually that'll get better, inshallah. But, he says, if you talk about me or make me feel bad with your tongue, I don't know if I can get over that. Right? Which is so true. So true, subhanAllah. So he says, be careful not to raise your voice against them and not to address them in a way that hurts them. And the last two, he says, as for the hands, do not withdraw your help and aid from your friend. Don't take away assistance. Even if you can't help someone to 100%, you can give them 10%. You can give them whatever you're capable of. You may not be able to do everything. I always tell people, like, don't, don't become like a binary person in sense of zero or one. Like, I can either do it or not. You can help in some way, shape, or form. Even if it's through a connection. I can't help you, but I know someone who can help you. And it's a very, very easy thing to do to connect somebody to somebody else. As for the feet, he said, use them to walk behind this person like a follower, not walking ahead of them unless they agree to send you in front of them. So don't become a person that stands arrogantly in front of somebody and tries to always be the leader in front of them. I read this in a kid's book to my, to my kids like four days ago. You know, this, this character that kept trying to be the king, the leader, the leader, the leader, and eventually the friends grew tired. That's what Imam Ghazali is saying. To stand for them when they approach you, only sit when they are seated, and sit modestly with them. Show them respect. You know, informality is fine, but never ever at the sake of respecting somebody. We should never let someone feel disrespected. He said, then when you've completed this, the union of friendship is complete. And I'll, I'll leave you guys with one final statement, inshallah, before we conclude. And that is, we have gone over this text, and there's so many other texts that we can go over, but I wanted to choose this one for a very important reason. And that is that, the religion of Islam is a communal experience. We have, it is necessary for us to have relationships and friendships. It is absolutely critical and essential. The reason that we have these relationships extends beyond this dunya. The reason why we're friends, I know it sounds weird. It doesn't stop here. We want to be friends in Jannah together. We don't want to die and then forget about people. And the proof of that is that when someone passes away, we still remember them. We hope to be reunited with them. We have friendships that are much more long-lasting than this temporary life. Who knows when we're going to pass away? 
Those relationships that are designed for the Akhirah can only be sustained if we treat each other in a way that is taught to us by Allah. Relationships that are for the dunya, we all know what that feels like. We know what it feels like to be used and to be utilized in like a corporate setting. We know what that feels like. We know what it feels like to be treated like a number. But then you're somewhere where there's faith that can be felt. You're in a Muslim gathering, you're in Mecca, you're in Medina, you're in the Masjid, hopefully. We're hopefully here at Roots, welcome home, that's the whole idea. And your understanding of how, who you are, it changes. You're not the same person that you are at work. Now there's more, there, there's more depth to who you are. Because the person who's with you sees you for something more than just someone who's a designer or an accountant or a physician or this or that. They see you as more than that. This only happens when you think of this person as in it for the long haul. Abdullah bin Mas'ud, he said, your relationships for the dunya will stop when one of you dies. If you have a relationship with somebody, it's only for this life. When one of you dies, it's over. He says, but your relationships with the akhirah, if you are friends with somebody for Jannah, it will become so apparent in how you treat each other that it's not going to end here. So I hope and pray that Allah Ta'ala gives us these beautiful relationships. I hope and pray that Allah Ta'ala makes us good friends. And Allah Ta'ala gives us good friendships. And Allah Ta'ala allows us to be people that are constantly refining ourselves to becoming better and better friends with each other. And that we become people that exemplify the beautiful character of His Messenger Wasallam. We ask and pray that Allah Ta'ala purifies us of any of the uh, uh, traits that we have that are difficult for ourselves or others to be around. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us people that are welcoming, that are warm, that are hospitable, that are caring, that are compassionate, that are forgiving. That, are, that have integrity, that are honest. We ask Allah to make us people that forgive, that overlook, that pardon. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us people that never say bad things about each other, that always try to remind each other of the good that we find within each other. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us people that have good suspicions and good expectations of other people and that we don't look for flaws or faults. We ask Allah Ta'ala to purify our hearts of all of these really horrific diseases so that we can become the best experience for people that are in our lives, our families and our friends and our loved ones, whether they are those that are close or whether they are those that are distant. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen. Subhanakallahumu bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk. Tazakum Allah khairan everybody.